Hey, welcome to Space Gab. This is Mike Coletta. It's the 5th of January, 2022, a brand new year. Space Gab can be heard at www.spacegabpodcast.com, and that takes you directly to my Anchor FM site where I host this podcast. It can also be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other podcast venues. Well, the James Webb Space Telescope is going really well. After launch, they had to do quite a few things. You know, when they sent this um, space telescope into space, they had to have it folded up so it could fit on a rocket to get into orbit. But now they've got to unfold so many things. And um, one of the things, one of the big things that they did just the other day, they took the sun shield you know, it needs a sunshield because um, it's so hot. The, the instruments that this infrared telescope uses have to stay very cold. So if it was facing the sun, if the sun was uh, heating these instruments up, it wouldn't work properly. So they have a five-layer sunshield that has to unfurl properly so it could block the sun from hitting these instruments, the actual instruments of the telescope. All five layers unfurled, and they tensioned. They tensioned each individual layer one at a time, and they all worked. They got all tensioned. So now that sun shield is protecting the uh, instruments from solar heat. Okay, today they un uh, not unraveled, but they folded out. They deployed the secondary mirror on the telescope just a little while ago. Now, without the secondary mirror on the James Webb Space Telescope, light would not make it into the actual telescope. So you've got the, the large mirror, or mirrors, I guess. They're the gold colors that you can see. Uh, you know, it's prevalent there. Um, a big mirror, you know, it's different, look, there's different shapes you can see on different uh, diagrams of the, of the telescope. Gold colored. And then a secondary mirror, which was folded now deployed, it's unfolded now. And that smaller mirror reflects the light into the actual telescope. So you've got the light coming into the main mirror, and that will focus onto the secondary mirror, and that secondary mirror will focus and put the light onto the actual telescope. And that's what the telescope will actually be looking at, the infrared light that is reflecting off that secondary mirror that originally was reflected off the primary mirror into the secondary mirror. Really cool, but it all went well. Right now, um, I watched the deployment of it. Uh, they're waiting for the latches to latch, and they said it would take about 45 minutes, so probably about 30 minutes um, from now. Uh, but they did. Uh, I do have some uh, graphics on my Twitter feed, and that's twitter.com slash Mike underscore Coletta. And you can see what the telescope looked like prior to it being the secondary mirror being uh, unfolded, and then you can see on the right-hand side after it was fully deployed, fully uh, unfolded, and um, now the latches are going to be put in place. But you know, everything is just going according to plan on this uh, James Webb Space Telescope. So exciting stuff, and um, it'll be catch, pa- capturing infrared light from 
very, very, very far away. I'm really excited to uh, to see this uh, program um, start up, and uh, all space enthusiasts, I'm sure, are also. Very interesting. Uh, recently, China sent up a satellite, and uh, named the nomenclature of that satellite is Tianhui Four. It was launched on December 29th. And uh, there was a double satellite carrier aboard that rocket. But, but there's only one nomenclature for that satellite, just a Tianhui-4. Well, now they're saying that there's two objects uh, in place. And um, Jonathan McDowell is tweeting this morning that uh, it says here, the Tianhui-4 launch on December 29th placed two objects in orbit. It is still unclear if they are both active sats, but we now see that Object A maneuvered to station keep a fixed distance of 200 kilometers from Object B, which does make it likely that both are payloads. Um, you can read more about his um, tweets out there about this satellite uh, at, at uh, Planet4589 on Twitter, or you can just go to my Twitter feed there, and I do have links to his tweets to also. Interesting, though. Um, lots of things. Um, China is, you know, really uh, moving out on their space program, as I've talked about uh, numerous times in numerous past podcasts. And uh, these satellites, you know, these, this is supposed to be a uh, Earth observation satellite, the uh, Tianhai-4. And, uh, but this other uh, object, Object B, uh, you wonder, hmm, what is it doing? Is it part of this Earth observation package? Or is it doing something else? But I know a lot more people are keeping an eye on uh, anything that has to do with Chinese launches, because um, as they've said numerous times, you know they 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 hope to be um, number one in the space program in in the in the world. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, based on their past a year experience um, and their future activities planned, uh, they're you know. <laughs> they are, as many um, U.S. Air Force uh, Space Force uh, generals have talked about recently, they're watching them. They're watching China very closely, kind of like they used to watch uh, Russia in the old space race. But now, it's um, this is the new space race. Well, numerous reports are saying that North Korea has launched its first ballistic missile test in a while at 2310 UTC, January 4th, range 500 kilometers. Jonathan McDowell says, probably a relatively small missile. Expect we'll learn more tomorrow. North Korea test launches this range of missiles every now and again, as does South Korea. Nothing special here, he says. But um, any time a country such as North Korea tests a rocket. You wonder what's next. Um, they've been setting up, remember, we've talked about in numerous uh, previous podcasts, some of their satellites. And, um, you know, early on in their satellite launch uh, history, the United States thought maybe their satellites weren't up there working. And uh, it found we found out that they actually were. And uh, some of those satellites are still up there. Are they working? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure some know if they're working or not. But uh, ballistic missile tests, uh, 
you know, could also mean testing a rocket for a, a possible future satellite launch, or it could just mean that um, they are just testing new rockets uh, for, you know, ballistic missiling, <laughs> whatever. But um, another another test uh, was just recently done, and uh, the world will be watching once again. Well, SpaceNews.com put out a uh, article. Uh, Starlink's lead executive in India said he resigned Friday for personal reasons, a month after the country's government ordered SpaceX to stop pre-selling the satellite broadband service until it gives regulatory approval. So, the uh, some some shake up there in uh, SpaceX Starlink land. So uh, I'm sure there'll be more on this article. But personal reasons, hmm. well, um, I'll tell you, these mega constellations are drawing a uh, a large uh, impact, large crowd, and a lot of people are watching these things. And, and uh, broadband uh, throughout the world is what basically the Starlinks provide because there's so many up there right now and so many more planned in the uh, near and apparently the far future, along with some other major companies getting involved in these mega constellation uh, you know broadband activities and like I said we're gonna see more and more with that happening in the near future uh, I have a feeling within you know the next oh I don't know maybe a year or two there may be a, like a moratorium or something on uh, how many mega constellations are gonna be allowed up there because of just the, the crowded the how crowded it is in uh, certain orbital planes right now and um, the debris factor and the, all these near misses. And you know, last week I talked about um, the uh, Chinese uh, space agency uh, complaining about um, two SpaceX Starlink satellites uh, and near misses or you know near approaches to their uh, Tiangong space station. And uh, if we've got you know besides just the Starlinks and some of these other companies are actually launching now, like OneWeb and things like this. And all those future companies hoping to launch satellites, it's going to get much worse. So I just predict probably a moratorium of some type in the not too far future, as far as uh, how many uh, mega constellation satellites are going to be allowed to actually launch. We'll just have to wait and see. And I'll report about it when it does or does not happen. Testmania.com posted a tweet. It says Elon Musk discusses Mars colonization says SpaceX will, quote, need the spaceships back, end quote, and people will have the opportunity to return to Earth. I would imagine, yeah, um, to, you know, they just can't produce spaceships, spacecraft, uh, to go to Mars, you know, you know, like just kicking them off the shelf. <laughs> so he says we're going to need those spaceships back, probably, um, you know, for a viable uh you know, program to take humans and animals and whatever else they're going to take up there to Mars. So, uh, interesting um, blog post if you'd like to go check it out on my Twitter feed there, uh, twitter.com slash Mike underscore Coletta. CNSA Watcher on Twitter uh, posts a YouTube video link, and uh, the, the tweet actually says, First Intelligent Small Satellite Production Line in Wuhan, Hawaii, 
for every one and a half days, there can be a satellite completed for launch. That's China. Every one and a half days, there can be a satellite completed for launch. Like I was uh, talking about earlier in the podcast, China and their satellite program, China and their space program, is uh, if you're a space enthusiast and you've been tracking this, it's phenomenal right now. And um, the United States, you know, is basically uh, and definitely tracking uh, China's space program. But hey, if you want to go check this out, they actually give a tour of this um, satellite, small satellite production factory. Uh, And uh, it looks pretty interesting. So check that out if you're a super duper space enthusiast and you are following the uh, Chinese um, space program or just following satellite production, small satellite production. Every one and a half days, they can have a satellite ready uh, and completed for launch. Isn't that something? Okay, we watched a new movie that just came out, and the title of that movie is Don't Look Up. I don't know if you uh, have seen it yet, but if you haven't, I if you can see it, I would suggest you see it. If you're a space enthusiast, you're going to love this. Um, there's much more involved than just space. It's kind of like a, uh, a parody. It's kind of like somebody said, oh, it's like a, a very long uh, Saturday Night Live skit. No, actually, it's way better than Saturday Night Live could do. Um, but it, it involves a comet that's going to be uh, hitting Earth, a uh, planet killer type comet. And it shows how uh, incapable NASA is to uh, properly you know, deflect something like this because they've got nothing but uh, decommissioned space shuttles at their, at their beckoning. <laughs> That's all they can launch. And how commercial space saves the day. And uh, how the government reacts, how the president at, of that time reacts uh, to this disaster, and how society in general reacts. What's more important? You know, th- they're being told that this planet killer comet is going to destroy them in a little over six months and everyone's going to die. And they're still focusing on the most ridiculous garbage, uh, you know, on social media, in the news, the news agencies. I mean, this makes fun of. Uh, government. It makes fun of NASA. It makes fun of commercial space uh, industry. It makes fun of social media. It makes fun of news media. It just it makes fun of s- so many things. Um, and it's got you know a lot of big stars in this movie. But like I said, it's we had to watch it twice. It's just so good. The movie is Don't Look Up. And I would ba- basically say, hey, if you get a chance to see it, I would watch it. Well, I guess NASA is hiring or has hired um, some theologians to examine implications of contact with aliens. There were so many different uh, organizations that um, did, you know, send out tweets and things on Facebook and different uh, news media venues that talked about this um, article. Uh, I just kind of like perused um, a few of them. But I guess it says, uh, this one This one I'm going, this one is um, from ChristianHeadlines.com, uh, I guess it is. It says, NASA recently hired two dozen theologians at the Center of Theological Inquiry, CTI, in Princeton, New Jersey, to offer religious guidance to people if contact with aliens were ever to occur. Let's see. 
According to Relevant Magazine, Carl Pilcher, the former head of NASA's Astrobiology Institute, said NASA enlisted the theologians to consider the implications of applying the tools of late 20th and early 21st century science to question that had been considered in religious traditions for hundreds or thousands of years, says the Reverend Dr. Andrew Davidson of a University of Cambridge religious scholar and one of the 24 theologians on the new project, agreed that if humans were ever to make contact with aliens, it would be useful to have thought through the implications in advance. Davidson believes that a large number of people would turn to their religion's traditions for guidance if such contact were to occur and that it would present significant ramifications for the standing and dignity of human life. Isn't that interesting? I know um, because recently, you know, more and more um, news organizations are talking about, you know, what if, you know, and it's mostly because of those, what was it, the uh, videos, I guess, that were provided by the Navy a long time ago, but they resurrected, and and a lot of people are on the bandwagon for UFOs again, and aliens, um, because of those uh, UFO videos that were taken by uh, was it pilots, military pilots? So I guess um, they're just kind of like stepping up on all avenues, covering all the bases, just in case. And I know um, you know a lot of uh, religious. I don't know if you can call them theologians. But a lot of pastors and things, uh, what you know, and I've listened to quite a few sermons, and um, read different articles, and and uh, just actually just recently, um, listened to some sermons online, that talk about um, aliens, you know, and they, you know the pastors are saying, yeah, we believe in UFOs and aliens, but we think they're demons, they're demons, and that's what they're saying they are. So, for uh, these theologians, and I don't know which you know religious. Uh, organization these theologians are all from or what their beliefs are because there's so many different beliefs nowadays you know but how they feel Do they, did they feel beforehand that these they're demons or if they actually come onto earth and they people make contact are they real are they still considered demons or or what but interesting so uh 24 theologians uh, hired by nasa um wow uh have to follow this one in the future well, this was an interesting read, a short read, but interesting. Uh, this one was at Wyon News, W-I-O-N News.com. Huh. Prepare for the rigors of colonizing space or astronauts may turn cannibals, says expert. This one says, um, if humans do not prepare for rigors of colonizing outer space, astronauts may turn to cannibalism, warn two space scholars. There are numerous challenges for space colonists, but the most important one is the food security, says Edinburgh University's Charles Cockle. Huh. There is a need to ensure farming and operating crop systems properly by colonizers, as otherwise they may find also that themselves in a similar situation to Sir John Franklin's 1845 Arctic exploration. He stressed, the Franklin's crew had cannibalized each other. Let's see, Franklin's crew tried to find the Northwest Passage 
on ships in the late 19th century. They had the most sophisticated pieces of technology available at the time, he says. But interesting that uh, they're talking about this cannibalism, which I guess would be true. Like, the what is it, the Donner Party that uh, was going west, um, Donner Pass in California. And I, what is it? I think just one individual survived, and that was by cannibalism. Uh, cannibalism of some of the other parties. I guess, I guess the story goes that some of the other party members also cannibalized and ate their their fellow travelers. But yeah, I would imagine. I mean, preparing for colonization of outer space, you know, they're gonna have to take into account all this kind of things. But um, I'm sure others have talked about this. But this is the first time I actually read an article uh, stating this. Um, so if you want to go check it out, go to my Twitter feed, and there's actually a link to that article. And I, I would imagine there's probably other articles of a similar nature if you'd like to uh, follow up on something like that. I guess the uh, launch company Firefly, uh, all of their launches are currently on hold. Um, I guess the uh, based on a due to a government, federal government, it says Firefly halts launch preparations after a federal government seeks divestment of foreign ownership uh, spacenews.com has a nice article about that explains it more um, the individual you know the ownership uh, of firefly and uh, how they want to work um, th- that individual kind of like you know not associated with a portion or maybe all of the company but you can read more about that uh, on spacenews.com uh, or on their twitter feed but uh, yeah firefly halts all launch uh, launches due to federal government uh, action. Well, Eric Berger tweets out, the White House has endorsed NASA's plan to operate the International Space Station through 2030. And he says, this is not perhaps uh, surprising, but a clear statement of intent all the same. He says, the challenge will be to bring Russia along for the ride. Interesting, huh? Because they've got all these, uh, and I've talked about it in previous podcasts, the different companies that NASA, uh, the three companies actually that NASA has uh, provided uh, dollars for to put proposals for the next uh, space station, the commercial space station after the International Space Station is decommissioned. Well, now the White House is giving um, support to keep the International Space Station going in orbit until uh, through the year 2030. Also, one other additional, um, well, I guess this is kind of good news for Axiom Space, who is currently working out um, to have some of their modules attached to the existing International Space Station. So this will keep their program going um, longer, as long as the uh, space station is going to be orbiting the Earth through the year 2030. So the Axiom Space modules uh, will be attached also. And then once the uh, space station is decommissioned, one of those other three, or who knows how many space stations will be up there after that. So uh, that's kind of interesting news. So this does impact um, probably the companies that are putting together packages for the next space station, which will be a commercial space station. And uh, Axiom Space, that's good news for them too. So we'll just wait and see. Uh, that's that's, a, that's good news, though, having the International Space Station. And when he's talking about bringing Russia along for the ride, because I've talked about in, in uh, previous podcasts how Russia and China are talking more and more about partnering, or partnering up 
on different space projects. And so they were worried that maybe if they partner up with China, they won't be partnering up anymore with the United States on the International Space Station. But we'll just have to wait and see who partners up with who. Well, that's it. Until next time. Thank you.